Hey, everybody. Welcome to the NFL Roadshow on the day after the first Sunday of the regular season. What a freaking fun day that was yesterday. Back in the studio for the first time in a while, and it was just a blast to have all these games on the monitors, real action to track after months of talking about what we thought it would all look like. And frankly, for the most part, it looked nothing like what we thought it would look like. A few teams I think we all thought were going to be great that looked anything but great. A few teams we thought were going to be awful that looked pretty good. It's an upside-down, topsy-turvy kind of world, which is, of course, the reason that we love NFL football. Hope you listened to the end of the podcast last week and picked up Jameis Winston to stash on your bench for fantasy, because guess who was QB3 this week, at least prior to Monday night? just Mr. Winston himself. Five passing touchdowns, 29 fantasy points. I'm just saying, it didn't come out of nowhere. He's always been a viable fantasy asset, and Sean Payton is a very good head coach. As you know, if you've listened to this podcast before, I was also pretty high on Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Washington football team. I thought they'd be a contender for the NFC East crown. Kind of liked them as an under-the-radar pick for the playoffs. I liked Fitzpatrick as a low-end, high-return fantasy quarterback, but it looks like we'll never know if that was a good call or not. He left the game early yesterday with a hip injury, placed on injured reserve today, diagnosed with a hip subluxation, which means that the ball of his hip slipped partially out of the socket, but then slipped back in. I reached out to the orthopedic surgeon and former Washington football team offensive lineman, Mark Addix, who I work with on the Fantasy Zone channel every Sunday for DirecTV. He said if Fitzpatrick does not need surgery, he could return this year. Because remember, injured reserve is just three games, so technically he can come back. Anyway, if he doesn't need surgery, he said it'll just have to do with like when the pain goes away and the strength returns then we could see him return to the field. If he does need surgery, though, that's the line in the sand. Uh, the doctor says that he will almost certainly be done if if that's the case. Either way, the Washington football team is going to go with Taylor Heineke this week on a short week against the Giants. They play on Thursday, and Ben Standig will be along in just a bit here on the podcast to break down all of the ways that that changes things for that team. He covers them for The Athletic. Uh, he does give us reason for optimism, though. He says we shouldn't write the team off just yet. First, though, regarding the other games, I want to welcome in a friend of mine, former colleague at NFL Network, one of the best insiders in the business, who was yesterday one flipped switch or electrical surge away from bringing you your red zone action. It's a story, and he's going to tell us. Mike Garofolo from NFL Media. Let's go ahead and break the huddle. Hold up, let's go! Two on, two on, two. Ready? Ready? Mike, how did that all come together? Yeah. Hi, Lindsay. Um, it was the first time in the new studio. I've been Mr. Backup the last week. Um, we had a You were Wednesday, nobody's I'm backup. Sorry, a, a Thursday night, um, a Thursday night show with Rich and the guys, a preview of the Thursday night game for like an hour and a half. And so Ian, Rhett Lewis, and I were on standby for that. And then on Sunday, they said, hey, um, sorry, you're not going to have a game week one, because usually the, the field reporters, we all get a game. Um, they said, we need you in Mount Laurel just in case it goes down uh, in L.A. for Red Zone the first time they're doing it in their new studio. So once they got every show on the air from the new location, they felt a lot better. But we always have to be on guard in case something goes wrong. So um, it, it sucked that, like, we were not on air. Um 
but it was cool to, to do it and to see what it's like for these guys every Sunday uh, to get the reps and just, you know, stare at a TV um, that's split into nine boxes and, and watching all the games at once. And they're all shrunken. So you're trying it's a to really- specific skill set to try and keep track of everything that's going on all at the same time. It is. And, and like I give the control room a heads up, Hey, you know, Minnesota's in the red zone. Great. The Jets just scored. They did wear like it's just right. so they're watching different things. I'm watching different totally. things. They're like, we do this professionally, Mike. You go back to no, this is there's nine games and, and you I know couldn't, you couldn't watch everything all at once, no matter who you were. So I would see stuff and they would see stuff. And, you know, I'd say, let's go here. And then they'd say, well, we can't. We got to go here first. And, uh, so um, we don't have this. I mean, we didn't have the staff that, that they usually have out there we had a skeleton staff, just what we could ever put together. So it was, you know, Hey, uh, um, the, uh, uh, the Bengals are, are driving. Okay, great. How did they get to the 20? And I'd get yeah. blank stairs. I don't know. Like, cause we just don't, you know, the way you have to do it is you have to have eyes on every game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what they do out there because that's important. So they're coming to me and it's like, Hey, all right, the Bengals are at the 20. You want to be able to tell people more than what they can see right. with their eyes. So uh, Cody Winstead, who produces our, our Saturday show, was like a one-man um, uh, statistician, basically. And, and, and so he'd hear we're going to whatever game it was, and he'd quickly try to get the drive summary, and he'd say, okay, there were passes to this person and this person. And sometimes I would see them, which would be good. Um, but so to wait, feed Mike, that to me quickly. Were you actually doing it? Yeah. Oh, so Even I though should, it wasn't should, going out? Yeah, I should. Let me back up. So. Um, we were all there, we were all set up and we knew we weren't going to be on the air unless something went drastically wrong, but we said, let's just do it. Right. Like we're not going to sit around here for eight hours and do nothing. So we did the entire one o'clock games, uh, through the overtime game, Cincinnati and Minnesota. Um, and, uh, we did the start of the four o'clock games and then we pretended as if the day was over. Uh, they have their top five plays, their montages, their touchdown montages, the things they run toward the end of red zone, which a lot of times are, hey, there's only one game left on the air. They went to commercial. We've got to show you something. So that's when we'll get yep. our sponsored up. So we did that. We said, hey, here are all the touchdowns from today. Got it. Just to show we could put a button on it. And then we watched the four o'clock games like normal people. So do you have a whole new respect for everything that Scott Hansen and Andrew Siciliano do every week? I, I do. And the the one thing that I still do not understand, like I, I understand everything that they do. I still think it's hard, but at least yeah. it's like I can see how it gets done. Um, I'm not saying I could do it. I'm just saying I, I, I now see it. But the one thing that I still don't know how he's able to do it, Siciliano tweets nonstop. Oh, I don't, yes. And he's how? like, yeah, every now and then they'll yell at me because I'm tweeting and not paying attention to the game or whatever. It's just like, and and no grammatical errors, no, sp- no no spelling errors with the guy's names or whatever. It's it's that's the still the most impressive part to me of this whole deal. Yeah, because you're treading water, man. Like you said, you're just like, where are my eyes? What am I not seeing? Trying to keep up, and then to take your eyes away from that to actually yeah. tweet out information. It blows my mind that they're able to do that. So, um, okay, so what did you? What was your? Now you mentioned that this is a different way to watch a game. You're gonna have to go back on Game Pass or something like that and actually take in the trends and how these things happened. But in terms of that, you know, uh. 
5,000 foot view. What's that saying? What is the number? Of what? Looking over everything? 30,000? 30,000. Okay. 5,000 is not very high. The 30,000 foot view. 5,000, you could jump. (laughs) 30,000. I mean, you could jump with a parachute. (laughs) 30,000, I wouldn't recommend. Jump 5,000 feet, Mike. You have some athletic skills that we need to talk about too, apparently. Anyway, now that you have that 30,000 foot view of watching, you know, from a red zone standpoint, what, what jumped out at you the most? Just about week one in general, you mean? Yeah. 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 you know, there's plenty of room for overreactions. Uh, so much. And uh, I'm not having some of them. Um, okay. I had uh, an agent text me, will Joe Judge survive the season? And I'm like, dude. So early. You got to stop. Like, take a breath. Okay. Because um, I still think they're going to be okay. I don't think they're going to be. I picked them you to win the so? division. Yeah, you I did? picked them to win. But I did. Because you got to. We do this crystal football segment. And they want a bold prediction. And. Was, was that you trying to get different? Were you yeah, trying to get it's different like there? I try to pick a team that I think is going to be better than people think and then push it to the next level. So last year, and for about a minute, and I mean a literal minute, not a figurative minute, um, I thought I was in on something with the Detroit Lions early on. Um, and I was like, oh, I'll just pick them to win the division, right? And it was just So they re-ran that before I made my Giants pick. I'm like, cool. So, um, should have gone Eagles. Uh, I, well, I don't believe in the Eagles and I still don't. And right. They're the only team at one and oh in the division. Right. But they look, I, Atlanta they look came good. out. Flatter. Yeah. Atlanta came out flatter than I thought that they were going to. I, I, they, they really disappoint. They were one of the bigger disappointments because I thought new coach, because sometimes you'll get that one new coach, Kevin Stefanski last year, that even though you're coming in and starting fresh, you've got enough to work with. And it should be good enough. I'm shocked that they didn't play better, but they're not. They need to be better up front. The Eagles are still good up front. So Howie Roseman and his staff all offseason long have said, if we stay healthy up front, we're going to be competitive because that's how you win in the NFL. And he's right. And, and for me to pick the Giants who are weak on the offensive line, I'm now like kicking myself. But, um, um, you know, I, 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 the overreaction stuff, will he survive the season? Like Joe Judge is, is – He's getting things off to the way that he wants to get them off there. And I believe the Giants are going to have patience. I know what Mara said about the playoffs, but I still think they're moving in the right direction. Um, But here, so I crush myself for a bad prediction. I'll give myself a good one. Uh, The Houston Texans, this notion that they were going to be the worst team in the league by far, never understood that. Really good offensive line. Incredible veteran depth in the backfield. All three of those guys that were playing yesterday scored. Um, and playmakers at receiver, veterans at receiver and veterans in the secondary. I'm like, how, if you're going to pick the team that was going to be the worst team in the league and you said Detroit, I'd be like, okay, I get that. Jacksonville. Yes. I could see that Houston. I just, this notion, I guess, cause everybody expected a huge drop off. That's the other thing. Tyrod Taylor, you know, I know you're looking at him as the guy that bounced around, but it's just been a series of bad luck and, and injuries. And, um, so good to see Tyrod Taylor get a chance. Uh, Arizona surprising. Wait, wait, wait. Let's go back to the Texans for a second. Because so the thing about the Texans, though, to your point, there's a lot of veteran depth, but they're all players aside from maybe a Brandon Cooks that have kind of been discarded. So it's like, yes, they have experience. They've been around for a while, but other teams have decided that they no longer want any part of them. So in that sense, to compile a team of a bunch of guys 
that are maybe on the back end of their career. I was shocked at what the Texans did last year. I mean, last, last yesterday. I do. Do you? How much of that do you think is now? You obviously believe in them more than most of us did coming into the season. How much of what they did yesterday was a product of playing the Jaguars and the Jaguars just not being ready to compete yet? Yeah, a little bit, but the Jags were favored in that game, right? Like that, that was the whole point was this team that went one in 15 last year has a rookie quarterback, a coach that's never coached on the pro level coming into your house. Yeah. And they're favored to win the game. You know that that was used as a point of motivation for the Texans. And the way that they played was do not consider us down here with the other. Now they're not going to make the playoffs, but you know, I, I saw the projections for their record one in 16. I was like, you know, they're going to win more games than that. There's just, and I understand your, your discarded veterans thing. And, and I'm not saying that this team's in the playoffs, but I, I just, that's the one thing that really has consistently shocked me throughout the year. And, and one of the beat writers um, who, who writes for the athletic Aaron Reese wrote a story basically about how this team is being treated as if they're the doormat for this league. And these guys have a lot of pride and, you know, they're, they're going to buck up and, and, and play here. Um, and I, I replied to his story and I sent him a DM too. I'm like, dude, I totally agree with you. I can't believe people are so down on that team. So we'll see. I, they're they're going to be, even with, even if they lose games, where are they going? Cleveland this week, I think. They're not going to win that game probably, but they're going to make Cleveland work for it. I would guarantee that. Why does Urban Meyer hate James Robinson? It's still early, but I don't know. I think, I think, I don't know. Um, Urban's going to be an interesting case study this year. And I know that there was a report yesterday about the way that he's treating his staff and his players. And I'll, we've, we've heard the same things. Um, We've alluded to it. I just, you know, I I want to give a guy a chance to actually understand what it's like at this level and learn and change. And he's going to have to learn and he's going to have to change because if this thing goes South and he's not used to losing like this, and his quarterback's not used to losing either, but I think Trevor's smart enough and patient enough that he's going to be able to handle it. Um, Urban's got a lot of pride. I'm really curious what he's going to do if this turns into a three and 14 season. Cause it might, it really might. Um, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I know his, his, some of his assistant coaches and he's had a lot of people there and some people have already left and you know, it's just keep an eye on that one down in Jacksonville. So interesting. So I, you know, every time, and I do a fantasy zone show, so it's kind of similar to the red zone in the sense that you're dropping in and then you're hopping on the computer really quick to try and get caught up to what you missed and how teams ended up in the position that they're in. But I felt like a lot of times when we drop in on them, then, you know, I'd see them in empty spread, that kind of stuff. And, and going into the game, I was thinking, oh, well, this is the Texans defense that just couldn't stop the run at all last year. So this is a smash spot from a fantasy standpoint for a guy like James Robinson without ETN in the backfield. And James Robinson had five carries for 25 yards and it was all Carlos Hyde. So whatever, but the Texans are one of those teams. And there were a few of them. I think that we all kind of thought aside from you uh, were bad going into the season that actually looked pretty good in week one. You talked about the Eagles and how you're not totally jumping on that train yet. Miles Sanders looked great. Spread the ball around. Devontae Smith looked better than I thought he was going to look right out of the gate. Jalen hurts looked like an NFL quarterback. What is it that makes you not buy into what you saw from them yesterday, aside from Atlanta, just 
looking particularly bad. What is it about what questions have they not answered for you there in Philly? Yeah, I, I think the defense is still going to be a question mark um, up front strong, but behind that I've got questions there. So if you get games where your uh, pass rush is not getting home and your defensive line is not that you, I mean, Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham, uh, Derek Barnett, all these guys are going to have to have not the, not career years. Cause these guys have played really, really good football. Um, specifically uh, uh, Cox and, and Graham the last couple of years, uh, but they're going to have to continue to play well. Cause if they don't dominate on certain days, there's going to be an exposure on what's happening behind those guys. Uh, trust me. And there's not a lot of depth either. And it's, it's a transition period. Um, but I, I, I do, if I'm Howie Roseman, like the fact that Devonte Smith caught a touchdown, Jalen Rager showed up yeah. and they really played like they wanted to dictate things on offense. And that was not the way it looked the last couple of years under Doug Peterson. It looked like a very bland, very vanilla, very un, non-confident, unconfident was the word, um, a bunch of players out there. And they actually played fast. And it was interesting, the playing fast part, because one of the skepticisms I had was they didn't practice long and they didn't practice hard in training camp. Matter of fact, when the Patriots came in, their players were saying privately, this is by far the longest and hardest practice we have had all in training camp. And then they didn't play them, the starters, much in the right in the preseason, excuse me. Wow. So I'm like, new coach, new system, mm -hmm. didn't play these guys, didn't work these guys hard. And, and by the way, you can work them too hard. I'm not saying you got to go, um, you know, junction boys on them. But you, to me, I thought they were going to come out flat and they didn't come out flat. So they did surprise me so far. So I may be wrong in the long haul for them. I, you know, I, I just, my worry, if I'm Howie Roseman, is what if they're just okay? And what if Jalen Hurts is good, but not great? Now you've got three first round picks next year that you can use right. to move up. Okay. And who knows what the Colts first round pick is going to be? Who knows what Miami's first round pick is going to be, but you can get yourself a quarterback if you need one. What if he's just okay. Right. How, what, what this, you need him to be sensational to be like, this is my guy. This is my franchise quarterback. So that, that to me, he, he needs to do what he did yesterday, the entire season. Cause then you got three first round picks. You could build around him. And all of a sudden, Howie Roseman will be back to being a genius again. Watch. Here's my concern about, I feel like, and you are the person talking to the people in the building and stuff like that. There's a reason that they are not all in on Jalen Hurts, right? They're seeing something at practice or in the meeting rooms or something like that, that leads them to kind of keep that like, I don't know that I'm not necessarily seeing or privy to that information. But I also think when you have a quarterback like him that has a, a bunch of different skill sets that there is a benefit to, to being all in on that guy and building around him. Right. So I kind of feel like if you've got a front office or coaching staff that isn't all in on him, he might not have an opportunity to show us all that he can be as a quarterback, you know, like yeah. you've got like a Lamar Jackson who has obviously a bunch of different skill sets and Baltimore was just like, he's our guy. We're going to build this team to play to his strengths. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm concerned about Jalen just getting a full opportunity, I guess, there in Philly based on the fact that they've been so hesitant. Like they didn't even name him the starter. and We knew he was the starter. You know, like there's just no support behind him. Well, that was a Sirianni motivational type thing. Does that motivate people, Mike? 
it, it was more of a if if kind of like what Belichick did for years with Brady, right? If I can yell at Brady in a meeting, I can yell at you, 53rd guy on the roster. So if Jalen Hurts needs to compete for a spot, then you, the gunner on special teams, needs to compete for a spot okay. as well and needs to act like everyday day. That's what that was all about. There was no question in their mind, really, that Jalen Hurts was going to be the starting quarterback this upcoming season. Um, but I, I think he's going to get a fair shake because the coaching staff there is they're just doing what's in front of them, right? The, the front office is where you, and you're not wrong, by the way, you're not wrong. If Jalen Hurts is holding the Lombardi trophy in, I don't know, two years, you may get a quote from a front office person or Jeffrey Lurie or whoever saying, we never doubted it. He was always our guy. As soon as he took. They'll be lying. Don't, don't buy that. Cause yeah, behind the scenes, they're saying now, now to be honest with you, Let's go back to last year, okay? Um, when they took him, I was on board with it because I understood, at least I thought I did, I still think I do, the, the thought process, which was we're going to bring this guy in and he's going to be able to do certain stuff and add elements to our offense. And if we need him to play, we're confident in him for a couple of games. And who knows, maybe down the line, we flip him for a first-round pick. And I'm on board with all that. But then when they made the trade, when they traded away Carson Wentz, I never got the sense that they were like, because we're good with it because we've got our next guy here in, in house. We believe mm -hmm. in jail. I never got that vibe. I never heard those words. Okay. So to me, at that point, I said, well, hold on a second. If you're going to pick him that high, knowing how uh, your, your, your current quarterback at the time, Carson Wentz, um, how much he can get in his own head and, and something like this might affect him. If you're not ready for the possibility that Wentz takes a nosedive here and you need to turn it over to Jalen Hurts next year, mm -hmm. then you made the wrong pick and you did it at the wrong time. Uh, now, they may, in the end, I don't want to say luck back into it because they still did like the kid as a player. Uh, they may, in the end, wind up having the guy in-house that should have been the guy all along and you know will be the guy going forward. Uh, but at the time, there was never any of that. There was never any of, oh, this is our guy. We're good. It's Jalen Hurts time. What's the reservation? with him i don't know because he's played well right yeah he's played well i mean he's in, in you know there are questions about him coming out of college and you know how many turnovers would he have at the nfl level and you know can he really operate like you need to operate as a quarterback at the nfl level but i don't you know I, I, to me what i saw yesterday and, and i hate to kind of go here but you know because 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 everybody's going to equate it. Hey, the mobile quarterback, and he can get out and do things and extend plays. Uh, like, I still have questions about what Lamar Jackson can do as far as using the whole field as a passer. And guess what? Mm -hmm. So do defensive coordinators. And so do the Ravens. They came in the last year, and even John Harbaugh was saying, defenses are going to make him make certain throws. He has to show that he can make certain throws. Jalen Hurts, to me, is, is showing the ability to kind of use the entire field and use his legs to set up the pass and, and all these things so you know he's he's done better than I thought he was going to do I thought he was going to be okay I think he's been better than okay it's gonna be really interesting to watch him the rest of the year another team that I was so excited watching and this is a team that uh falls into that you know Texans Bengals nobody thinks that they're going to do anything this year is the Detroit Lions I actually had so much fun watching that game for a number of different reasons. I now feel some sense of optimism about the lions, not this year. I don't think they're going to go anywhere this year, but a couple of things. 
the fact that they went for it on fourth down so frequently, I kind of thought this was brilliant by Dan Campbell. They went for it on fourth down early in the game. They went for it on fourth down five times and they, they actually converted two of those. But when you are a team that has nothing to lose, no one's expecting you to win. That sends a message to your guys early on. Like, I believe in you go get it. I'm going to give you a shot to go win this game for me. And I think that the guys will love that and that they will buy in more quickly. And I, I think Lions fans will love it. Um, they should not have been in a position to win that game. Obviously a ton of different things went, I mean, there was one of the touchdowns late in the game and we were on air on the fantasy zone channel. And I was like, garbage time, touchdown, blah, blah, blah. Let's look at it later. It should have been a garbage time touchdown. You don't, you can't count on an onside kick being actually recovered. And, and then, so they get the onside kick and then they march down the field and they score again. And then, and then, you know, it still should have been over because there shouldn't have been a Debo Samuel fumble the game should have been over so everything went right for them but um it was just such an interesting game to watch play out they don't have any wide receivers though right the target leaders were so interesting swift was their their leader in targets with 11 then hawkinson then jamal williams with nine you got to go down to quintez cephas who was their most targeted wide receiver with seven and then you got trinity benson who they just traded for two weeks ago with six tyrell williams go ahead and you know drop him on your fantasy teams because i don't know if he's the one there i don't know if there is a one um amon ross st brown had a play uh, as well yesterday and I remember that because what, I just called him Quinton Cephas. It's Quintez Cephas. Um, and I called Amon Ra St. Brown. I'm sorry. Amon, Amon Ra St. Brown. Yeah. I called him Amon St. Brown. So this was <laughs> this was on fake red zone yesterday. Call it faux zone. Um, and it was the most like that's when I got excited. I was doing the, you know, when Hanson gets fired up, I'm like, come on, how much of this is fake? And it's real because. You're calling all these games the whole time you and you want something like this to happen. And it happens. I, I, I got to go back and watch it. Cause they're going to have the clip for me to watch it, to see like, if I was screaming to the point where the viewer would be like, this guy's annoying. Or if it was, no, this guy's feeling the action. And I also want to go back and see how Scott did it because we kept checking in like, all right, we'll keep an eye on that lions game. They're not dead yet, but they're probably dead. We'll see. And then we kept checking in. It was like, wait a minute. They're really not dead. They're like, real Holy crap. We got, yes. you know, and then, by the way, we missed the onside kick because it was like we were bouncing between two things. It's like we got we had we followed them all the way. And then we cut back just as the 49ers were lining up to kneel on it. I'm like, we should have shown the onside kick. You know, that's the other thing with red zone. Some things you're showing live, some things you're not, some things you're pretending are live, even though they happened 10 seconds ago. Anyway, um, it's a juggling it's act because I mentioned instead of Amon Ra, I called him Amon because I was just so excited. And I was like, Amon. And my uh statistician that i called him cody winstead afterward um he was like isn't there a raw in there and i was like what are you talking about he's like amon Ra." i was like okay he goes yeah you called him amen i'm like i screwed up dude right and it was get off my back right but but like how many tweets does scott get on sunday if he oh, yeah. screws something up right oh, but you Just gotta be perfect people are like can't wait to j-. so i'm like if that was live and yeah. I called him Eamon say, do you know how many tweets I would have got from people? You're an idiot. You don't know the guy's name. You're just so excited that the, the words aren't coming out the right way. So Absolutely. that's another reason why what they do is extremely difficult. Cincinnati, what's the ceiling there? We're spending a lot of time on the bad teams that played well yesterday, but I don't know. I think that they're kind of fun. 
Well, yeah, I, but I think the defense is better than people think, and they've spent a lot of resources the last couple of years trying to get better on defense. And and those guys, you know, bucked up and made the play that needed to be made, certainly with the, with the fumble that may or may not have been. I understand why it was upheld, and that's why the importance – you know, I always hear people say, just call it a fumble on the field, and then we'll clean it up later. Well, that's why you got to call it the way you think it actually happened because I think if it was the other way and they ruled that he was down, I think it would have stayed as – he was down. There's just, they couldn't really tell on replay. So, um, but regardless, um, yeah, I think, I think there's potential there. I still think their offensive line is a work in progress and it's because they decided to take Jamar chase instead of Penae Sewell at that point. But you know what? Looked pretty good yesterday. Didn't it? You know, and, and, and they understand they're building something for the long haul and maybe next year they draft a lineman or a couple of linemen or they sign one. And all of a sudden now you can fill these holes as you go along. So, I think they're they're limited in regard to um, you know playoffs and, and those kinds of things, but they're they're good. They're competitive. Joe Burrow is um, Joe Burrow is really good, really good. You know, I think there was still a little skepticism on him coming into the league, and I, I love what I see from Joe Burrow. I really do. I think he's going to be a stud in this league for many years to come. Um, so you know, if they're around nine and eight, eight and nine this year, I'm not shocked. I don't know if nine and eight gets you in the playoffs. Probably doesn't, uh, but I think they're I think they're right around 500, which is good for them. I love the way people from your part of the country say his last name. What I say, Barrow. It's Barrow? like a very Philly-ish sort of accent that comes out a lot. Um, Barrow. I can't even do it because I'm from California, and we I don't know. Um, <laughs> the teams that we thought were good that looked bad. This is going to be a massive overreaction week for these teams. We don't even need to yeah. dwell that much because I think all the debate shows and talk shows are going to go all in on the Packers and Aaron Rodgers and the Bills and. Um, but so Packers, Bills, Titans. Which one concerns you the most based on what we saw yesterday? Packers. Yeah. Packers. Really. Well. I, probably the Titans because you know Arthur Smith was a big part of what they did, mm-hmm. um, and now he's down in Atlanta trying to do his own thing as a head coach. Um, so Todd Downing is taking over, and I know he's highly thought of. Um, let's see, let's see what happens there. Um, but the Packers, I, I still think the Packers will be. I, I to me the Titans were a question mark coming in. I just as a little that defense, they didn't answer any questions yesterday. I thought. They needed to come in and play better, and that's not how you play defense. Um, I mean, even their strengths, you know, Taylor Lewan, as he admitted, said he just got my butt whipped yesterday. I mean, what the hell do you take away from that game if you're Tennessee? Nothing. <laughs> no. Not, what one like, of the things no I good. One of the things yeah. I do take away is that it just looked like Tannehill and Julio had no chemistry or rhythm yet, and that will come with actually practicing together, assuming that Julio actually starts practicing <laughs> on a regular basis, because there were a lot of just, it was like timing. It came off his fingers. It, it got him on the hands just about every single time. That could be cause for concern too, because normally if the yeah. ball is in his, anywhere in that radius, um, he's coming down with it and he didn't he didn't yesterday he could put together a whole highlight package or low light package of balls, like bouncing off his fingertips. Um, but the Packers, what concerns you about that? Because it feels to me like it, the way that it all played out was, I, you know, did not see coming and was shocking, but Aaron Rodgers isn't going to play like that for the whole year. No, uh, a couple of things. One, and I mentioned this on, on GMFB weekend, again, one of the, the few things I, I saw coming uh, the saints, in 2005, after Katrina, um, they went three and 13 
Uh, and everybody remembers how they had to play the Giants at Giants Stadium instead of the Superdome and basically were a road team and got hosed in that regard. But I said, don't forget what happened week one. They beat Carolina in Carolina in a game they were not expected to win because they played on emotion. Um, now, this was a thankfully much different situation with regard to devastation uh, and loss down there after Ida, uh, thankfully. Um, but still a region that has been without power and struggling again and all that stuff. And, you know, uh, this is a team new that they could give that region a lift and, and being displaced is not a great thing. It's not a good thing. Okay. Let's be clear about that. But I think even James Winston referenced this after the game, we had nothing to do, but get ready for this game. Right. So we were focused on that. We didn't have to worry. You know, they had concerns, how are their families doing at home and all that stuff. I get it. But the point is when you're away and you're kind of isolated, you can focus a little bit differently. And so I did expect them to come out and play well and say, that could be my surprise upset of the day. Didn't think it was going to be like this um, for many reasons, not the least of which who would expect the Packers only score three points. So, um, but now it, it's going to feed into everything that we talked about in the off season and how much of this is going to be, well, it just wasn't our day versus Aaron's not feeling that anymore. Right. Like, Time but to I move mean, on. Him not feeling it is going to be very different. He's not going to go out just from a pure self-respect and wanting to show people like we talk about him as one of the greatest ever. That performance yesterday was a blight on his record, right? The greatest quarterbacks of all time don't come out and play that way because it wasn't just an off game. It was like he hadn't prepared. It was like mentally he wasn't there. My guess is that he answers back because he's too good not to. Yeah, right. But is is that the sign that he's not going to be able to sustain it for 18 weeks? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's been a long emotional off season and he talked about the mental part of things and how he worked on that this off season and how important that is to him. Um, so now games like this, and if you have another one and, you know, you're a middling team and you're not the team that's dominated the last couple of years, uh, a lot of times, how much of that is going to weigh on you and how much of that. And when I say not feeling it, I don't mean not feeling playing football, but just right. not feeling the same kind of vibes that he was feeling. We know he's not feeling it with the, with the front office. Right now, is it going to extend to just the entire situation, the coaching staff, everything? I, I don't know. That's why I say I'm worried. Well, he, this look, uh, he seems like a guy who wants to show you up. And he wants to come out of this looking like he's right. And the Packers were wrong. And what we saw yesterday is not going to lead to people having that conclusion at the end of the season, if it continues. So I have every confidence that we're going to see the best Aaron Rodgers moving forward and that we'll look back at all of this and it'll be like the whole relax thing. And yeah, maybe, I mean, but look, the, the next four weeks are, you know, home against the lions, which, you can take that either way. Is it the, is the Lions team we saw for three quarters? Is, or are you going to have to fight for it the way we did in the fourth quarter? Uh, at the Niners, going to be a tough that game. That one's tough. Yeah, that one's tough. Now you got the Steelers at home, you know, after how, how Pittsburgh played on the road yesterday. And then you got uh, at Cincy, which was what? not easy for your division rival Vikings. You know, then you got at the Bears, you got uh, Washington at home. Who knows who the quarterback will be then? Um, and you got Cardinals at Cardinals at Chiefs, Seahawks, Vikings, which you obviously have to play. Uh, Rams, I mean, Ravens, 
Let's take a moment here to to just point out the fact that you're scratching your chin as you talk about a Packers matchup against the Lions and the Bengals. Like after one week, you're like, man, I don't know, Detroit, maybe. I I would think that they're going to win. That might be tough. (laughs) I would think if you're asking me, I think it's a, I think it's a handy win. I guess I'm kind of, you know, just I'm left with what I remember yesterday. Yeah. They should be okay this week. This should be the bounce back. You know, and I'm sure a lot of people are with me on this, which scares me. The bounce back, double digit, never in doubt. We're okay. Everything's fine win. But then you go again, then you got the Niners on the road. You got the Steelers. I'm just saying it. One seed right now in the NFC. I don't know. I can still see it. I can still see it. I'm going to do the Aaron Rodgers relax route to everybody. This is how I feel. Um, cause there's just no chance. I don't, they have way too much. Although maybe this is the fantasy football manager and me, the whole Aaron Jones thing threw me off too. his lack of ability. Like just the whole thing was a disaster. Anyway, moving on a couple of teams that were kind of middle of the road for me going into the season. I think most people kind of figured they could go either way, Minnesota and Arizona. Um, Minnesota went one way, Arizona went the other in week one. What were your thoughts there are we overreacting to minnesota or do you think that minnesota does have an awful lot of work to do um and is arizona as good as what we saw yesterday yeah I, minnesota does have work to do um and and it feels like a little bit of make or break in minnesota right now for yeah some key folks there so you know losses like that that's how it happens right you start to get some of these close heartbreakers um and they start to stack you know, it, it could be a problem. Let's look at let's look at their schedule coming up. Who do they have this week? Oh, interesting. The two teams we're talking about. It's Minnesota at Arizona. Okay. Ooh. And mm. then home against the Seahawks, home against the Browns. Hello, opening quarter of the season. Wow. All right. Um, yeah, that's I, this is why I like week one because yeah, you've got the overreactions, but you can start to be like, oh, that game that I thought was gonna be a cakewalk for them. Right. Maybe not now. Um yeah, um, yeah, I, I've got I've got questions about Minnesota and just the ability to kind of piece this whole thing together and 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 this offensive line, the way that they've tried to uh remake that and 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 the questions about the quarterback that are just going to continue. And how that first contract set up the next one, because they redid that first contract, added years and added guarantees. And it's like, it keeps rolling the guarantees going forward. I forget when it stops. I think it's next year. Um, yeah. So, and, and, and Mike Zimmer, who uh, I thought was headed to a Super Bowl when he went to Philly for an NFC championship game a couple of years ago. I, I really thought they were coming out of Philly with a victory that day and just did not do it. Ever since then, it's just been kind of wet. What happened to the Vikings? Expected the Vikings to pop up. 12 um, penalties yesterday. Got to get those cleaned up. 11 of them were on the offense. Um, and the O-line just needs a lot of work. They need Christian Derrissaw ASAP. Yeah. And, but it's needed to work for years. And, and when, you know, Dalvin Cook's going for three yards of carry, you're not going to win that way. Um, Adam Thielen played well yesterday. I remember seeing him pop up a couple of times. But, uh, yeah, yeah, this team... Now, who knows? Now they go into Arizona and they win. And all of a sudden, like you got a different opinion of both teams, right? That could be the way it happens. Um, Arizona surprised me. Um, Arizona, I did not expect them to come out and play the way that they did. Um, but man, they are really um, explosive offensively. 
um, and hard to get a handle on, right? Like just they, 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 the quarterback is slippery. The wide yeah. receivers, I, you know, they're, they're, and Kyler was under duress a couple of times and able to make plays. It's incredible. You, you, if, if you've got the other defenses rushing four or five guys, whatever it is, subtract one, cause he's going to be able to get away from one. It, it, it's almost like, you know, the way you talk about the, the, when you, when you run the wildcat, all of a sudden it's, it's 11 guys. You don't have to worry about defending 10 guys. You got to worry. You defend 11 with him. It's like, you got to defend 12. It's unbelievable. Um, but you know, what was great too, is last year at the end of the year. So there was a stat and I don't exactly remember where the line was, but it was, if Kyler Murray has, you know, over or under this uh, amount of rushing attempts or yards, then they win or lose. They needed him to get it done on the ground. And if you could stop him on the ground, then you could beat the Arizona Cardinals. Well, yesterday, he only had five rushing attempts for 20 yards. He was he was keeping the ball and throwing it. He had 32 passing attempts, um, 21 completed. They kept, you know, going to chase Edmonds and um, James Connor on the ground. It just looked more like a purposeful offense. And then Christian Kirk tip of the cap for him because he pretty much lost his uh, number three wide receiver spot. Uh, we talked to Bob McMahon McManaman a couple of weeks back, and he was talking about how Rondo Moore had essentially taken over as the three and Christian Kirk was the odd man out. He made the most of every opportunity that he got in week one, five for five, 70 yards, two touchdowns. That's the way to keep a roll. And yeah, and the over the shoulder catch, which was one of two over the shoulder catches. Who had the other one? Was it Tyler Lockett? Maybe had the over. Oh the, yeah, really so amazing. pretty. Yeah, yeah, that's that's not easy to do. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I I still have the Rams winning that division, uh, but man, it's it's feel bad for whoever is going to finish last place in that division because you're a good team and you don't deserve that, and and hopefully you don't have a sub five hundred. Uh, NFC East winner that you got to look at. They could send four. They could. Cause you're right. I mean, cause you've got Seattle there too. I mean, up on each other, right? Like everybody would have to go three and three in the division around there to make it, to make it kind of happen. Um, yeah. Be interesting. Well, weird things happened yesterday. Maybe weird things will continue to happen for the rest of the season. Mike Garofalo from NFL network. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lindsay. Hi, everyone. This is Heisman Trophy winner and NFL quarterback Doug Flutie. I'm excited to tell you that my podcast, the Flutie Flakes cast, is back for the entire football season. I may have played like 21 years of professional football in three different leagues, but I'm still just a big kid and I absolutely love this game. Every week, we'll talk about the topics I care about and bring on super fun guests. So please subscribe today, wherever you stream your podcast or listen on the SXM app. Include it with most subscriptions. Now for the absolute biggest bummer of the day yesterday, in my opinion, the loss of Ryan Fitzpatrick for the Washington football team. And I know some of you are rolling your eyes. It's Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's 39 years old. He's been on nine different teams, but I absolutely thought he was a great option for this particular team at quarterback this year, able to utilize their weapons, win them some games. But as you saw yesterday, hurt his hip early in the game was ruled out almost immediately now expected to miss some time. Let's welcome in Ben Standig who covers the team for the athletic. And he was, um, I was really big on the Washington football team this year to come out of the East and earn themselves a playoff berth. My favorite under the radar squad this year. How much do you think this loss of Ryan Fitzpatrick affects their ability to do what they want to do moving forward? 
It's a huge blow. I mean, we spent so much time this offseason, obviously discussing all things Fitzpatrick. But in terms of this team, this is a group that, you know, they had a losing record last year, but they did win five of their last seven games to win this terrible NFC East division. So we all kept wondering, well, what could happen if you had real quarterback play? They didn't get much quarterback play at all for a variety of reasons last year. And whatever you think of Ryan Fitzpatrick, as you sort of alluded to in your intro, he's been playing some of the best football of his career the last couple of years. He's an aggressive thrower. He's certainly capable. Yes, there's the, the roller coaster ride that comes with pass to pass with him at time, but he would logically be an upgrade over what they had. So combined with a defense that something could be one of the best ones in the league, could this team win nine games, 10 games, 11 games? You know, I mean, could you get content to some degree, especially if the defense does a lot? Well, that's the big thing, right? Like, because, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, you alluded, he's going to turn the ball over. My thought was, this is a team that's built to metabolize those turnovers, though. So if you could just put up the points with this defense, he can throw an interception here and there, and they'll be fine. Right. And they added, uh, they upgraded their offensive of weapon. Uh, Curtis Samuel hasn't been practicing all offseason because of a groin injury, and they just put him on IR before the season. But even still, they added some other pieces through the draft and free agency. And, you know, okay, so now you have this guy, let's go let's see what let's see what can happen i don't think anybody had super bowl dreams but at the same time if nothing else would be interesting and potentially a pretty good year to have him go hurt to get hurt in the first half of the first game we didn't even see one of the fitz magic moments yet like not even close nothing happened and now for this to be where he could be out several weeks or who or or, you know or, or perhaps longer is a bummer i don't necessarily think it ruins their season because they do have two backup quarterbacks in Taylor Heineken, Kyle Allen, who have legitimate NFL experience. But there's a reason why Ryan Fitzpatrick was the clear starter from uh, from the jump. He is the most experienced, the, the most talented of the three, uh, and it is a blow for sure. Selfishly, the thing I'm most disappointed about again for me is that I won't get to prove myself right. Like I've been saying this all <laughs> off season that Ryan Fitzpatrick, all you haters, like it's going to be fine. He's going to be good. This team's going to be good. And now I don't have an opportunity to put something on the field where I can again, prove that I was right. But that said, more importantly for the Washington football team, they do have Taylor Heineke. He looked good at the end of the year last year when he came in, uh, he looked okay yesterday without first team practice reps all week in practice. I think that that's an important thing always to mention when a backup quarterback comes in, they didn't get to work with these guys. They didn't get to work with the game plan and the way that the starter does, but he was 11 for 15, 122 yards, not exactly, you know, like crazy yardage numbers, but pretty efficient. What kind of quarterback is he? And, and, you know, what have you seen from him that leads you to think that maybe he either will be capable or that this will be a massive setback. First off, never apologize. I never apologize for wanting to prove you're still, you were right. <laughs> That's very important in the world we live in. Everybody's got to got got to kind of promote themselves a bit. Um, look, we saw Taylor Heineke last year in the in the playoff game. He literally came off the couch like just a few weeks prior, joined the team. Now, fortunately, he had already had some history with offensive coordinator Scott Turner and Ron Rivera, so he didn't come in completely blind to the system. But nonetheless, comes in has almost no work and did really well in a playoff game against Tom Brady and the eventual Super Bowl champions. Uh, he is an, an improvisation type of quarterback. You never quite know from moment to moment like what he's going to do. There's the random shovel passes. He, he breaks out of the pocket. Um, he, he can throw the ball down the field. I wouldn't say he's got the strongest arm. He's certainly not the biggest guy. His biggest issue has been when he plays, he usually gets hurt. And that's been an issue that was discussed throughout the offseason that he he worked to, to build himself up a little bit and to try to 
stay out of traffic a, a little bit more, you know, to, 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 you know, to cross the street at the proper intersection as opposed to running straight into the oncoming traffic. And we'll see if he's able to do that over time. Um, when he plays, he's been effective. His teams also haven't really won games. So it, it is a combination of he's a lot of fun. It's sort of like Fitzpatrick on that level in terms of the fun component. And he can do some things. I don't think they're feeling that they have no shot with him in there. And that's why I've said before, I don't think losing Fitzpatrick is like, well, that's the end of the season. At the mm-hmm. same time, uh, he's like a very limited resume. And Kyle Allen, who may have, who may eventually, I think has a chance to supplant Heineke, has more experience, but also not a guy with a winning record. And we haven't even talked about the defense yet. The defense is going to have to play a lot better than they did against better. the Chargers in order to um, have any chance at anything this season. But just continuing with this offensive theme, what does it do, if anything, based on what you've seen from the offensive weapons in terms of the way that they will be able to be used? Because Ryan Fitzpatrick obviously is that guy that can stretch the field. So uh, I would imagine that this might change things a little bit for a guy like a Terry McLaurin, though I I already, I mean, without Curtis Samuel in there, I was concerned about what that would mean for Terry McLaurin. A lot of people were like, oh, volume. He'll just get a ton of like from a fantasy football standpoint. He's just going to get so much action. My concern was defensively, it's a lot easier to pay a lot of attention to Terry McLaurin if Curtis Samuel isn't there doing all of his misdirection, like versatility stuff where you can line him up everywhere. But just in terms of taking a Ryan Fitzpatrick out and supplanting him with either a Taylor Heineke or a Kyle Allen, what does that mean for the guys like Antonio Gibson and Terry McLaurin and Logan Thomas and the way that they will be used? You know, you mentioned Terry McLaurin. If you obviously adding Fitzpatrick and adding Samuel, helps the offense. But if you had to point to one person who both of these moves should really help, it was Terry McLaurin because his first two years in the league, he's had a variety of eh, quarterbacks at his disposal. And sometimes not even that good. His second receiver has often been somebody who's just kind of a generic guy. In fact, the 2019 starter, two starters opposite him on the outside in the slot were both released by Washington during training camp because they upgraded their pieces around him. And yet, He's been highly productive. He is one of the better young receivers in the league. And I don't, we can toss out young. He's one of the better receivers in the league. Agreed. Period. And so therefore it was exciting to see what he could do with a, with a quarterback who was going to throw the ball down the field, take advantage of his speed and to have somebody like Samuel um, be there to have, you know, distract the defenses. Now he, Samuel's out at least for uh, the first three games. We'll see about what happened to Fitzpatrick. But like I said, it doesn't sound great. Um, so yeah, this is a blow to, to McLaurin. Now he'll still get, He'll still get work, but he didn't have a, a single catch in the first half yesterday. I mean, the offense with Fitzpatrick was moving the ball a little bit, but they had to settle for field goals, something we kind of saw in the preseason. They didn't even target him in the first half. Yeah, no, he was basically a non-factor. And the one big catch he had in the second half from Heineke was just a ridiculously unbelievable, I don't know how he caught it, Houdini-type uh, catch uh, where a defensive back looked like he had the ball right there and he had great concentration. To, to reel it in. Um, but yeah, look, McLaurin is going to be great. Now, in terms of the other weapons or the other receivers, I think one person, if in fact we're, we're talking about a world with Taylor Heineke, to keep an eye on is Cam Sims. Cam Sims only had two offensive snaps yesterday, and he was not a factor. But in the playoff game against Tampa Bay last year, he had he was their leading receiver. He had seven receptions, over 100 yards, all from Taylor Heineke. His one catch yesterday was a 17-yarder from from Heineke uh he is a huge target he's the only receiver they have that's over six feet tall and he's a guy that's not only has good red zone size but the way Heineke throws sort of a lofted ball I think having a big target on the outside could be a big deal um they drafted Deami Brown in the third round he received the second most snaps yesterday behind McLaurin I really like him a lot I think he's got a really impressive game he's got speed he's a good route runner he can play a lot of spots 
I think he'll keep playing a bunch as well. But, you know, he's a rookie, and uh, you probably maybe want a little more experience perhaps out there with a guy like Heineke because you don't have the 38, 39-year-old Ryan Fitzpatrick who can see it all. So they do have some other options. But, yeah, it's, it's going to be a little bit different now with uh, Heineke in there versus Fitzpatrick. We did see a lot of Antonio Gibson, 20 rush attempts for 90 yards, and then they threw him a little bit in the passing game, targeted five times, caught three balls. Is this pretty much what you think that we should continue to expect to see from him? We heard about this, you know, Christian McCaffrey-like usage from this former Panthers staff. Is that a fair thing to say about what they hope to do with Antonio Gibson, or are we making too much of it? Yeah, I love, comparisons are always so fun. Um, <laughs> you, you know, it, it, it's rough to compare somebody to, you know, the guy is probably the best running back in football. But in terms of usage, I think Antonio Gibson is going to get used a lot. You mentioned fantasy football before. He was somebody that all summer I was saying, this is the guy who has a chance to be breakout uh, player, even though he was being picked among the top 10 or 12 running backs in fantasy. Uh, the, his production last year was really impressive when you consider he only had 38 carries in his last year at Memphis. He was really a receiver that Washington viewed as a running back because of his size and speed combination and his ability to, to swerve away from defenders. He's really impressive. They also eliminated Peyton Barber. Um, he was one of their final cuts. Peyton Barber was the short yardage back last year, whether goal line or fourth down, they gave, they've given that job to Gibson, which means, you know, for around the goal line, he should get some more work there. So I, I think there's a lot of reasons to like Gibson. Now he did have a huge fumble yesterday, which pretty much I, I can't say cost him the game, but it, it, he coughed it up inside the five yard line, their own five yard line. And the chargers immediately took it in for the go ahead score. He obviously that can't become a, a, a habit and there's still some growing pains for a guy who, like I said, wasn't really a, a full-time running back in college, but the potential is pretty enormous. And I do think they're going to keep feeding him a lot. I thought it was interesting that JD McKissick was only targeted one time um, because that was, I think a, one of the question marks, you know, as they worked in Antonio Gibson last year, sort of eased him into playing the position. It felt like they brought in McKissick for passing downs. And it, while obviously that's something that's a skill set that Antonio Gibson has, there's some question about whether or not there would be some back and forth. And that doesn't appear to be the case defense. What did you see? What happened? Because the chargers were outstanding. Herbert just, crush them on third down obviously this defense is going to have to play a lot better but they have the pieces to do so so it's easy to say oh this is just a, a one game thing and they'll figure it out much like i feel like about the packers right right um yeah i mean that that first drive of the game the Chargers went 75 yards in the blink of an eye and that was a jarring play i i, I get it it's the opening drive of the season you know but nonetheless that was really uh, to see that uh, they were there, that the LA offensive line really worked over Washington. There was all this talk about Rashawn Slater, their first round pick at left tackle who played against chase young in college when they were both in the big 10 and kind of neutralized chase young in their matchup. And a lot of people talked about that in the run-up for both of them entering the draft. It happened again. He was really effective. Uh, chase young's best work came when he moved to the other side of the ball. So obviously you know, for Washington, if anybody who's out there talking, and I know you, you're saying you were as well, if you're saying, at least pre-Fitzpatrick, that this was going to be a team that's going to contend, well, it's going to be because the defense is legitimately a top five defense. I kind of kept saying last year, I think if you really dive into the game by game, a lot of their success came against a bevy of backup quarterbacks that they that they were facing, the Ben DiNucci's and Ryan Finley's of the world. But okay, they also throttled Pittsburgh when the Steelers were undefeated. So there's reason to be optimistic. The defensive line is talented. They made some upgrades in the secondary. Um, one thing Ron Rivera said after the game was 
for him, it was, it was the little details that bothered him the most, particularly on third down conversions. The Chargers were an insane 14 of 19 on third downs. And the only reason it was 19 instead of 18 was they kneeled the ball at the end of the game. So really, it was like 14 of 18 for, for real. He talked about not so much missed assignments, but guys just uh, sort of uh, freelancing a bit too much, not trusting perhaps what their teammates were going to do. He said they're going to have to clean that up. Um, I think there's still some questions at linebacker. The first round pick, Jamin Davis, he's it's he's been slow to come on so far. He had a quiet debut. They eventually need him to be a third down linebacker to go with Cole Holcomb. Until that happens, they're kind of limited at that spot. But yeah, overall, on all three levels, there's definitely a lot of room for improvement. Well, and they're not going to have much time to improve before they next take the field. They're the Thursday night game operating on a short week at home against the New York Giants, uh, a team that also has a lot of work to do. So we'll we'll see how that one plays out. Ben, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much. And that'll do it for today's episode. Back Wednesday with more. Now that we're in season, we're going to have three NFL Roadshow episodes per week. One on Monday, one on Wednesday, and then one on Friday. That will have a fantasy slant. We'll help you set your rosters and get your DFS lineups in working order. Eric Eager from PFF is going to join us on Wednesday after a weekend where very little went as expected. He's going to help us wrap our brains around the things that we can count on moving forward. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, wherever you get your podcasts. The NFL Roadshow is also available on the SXM app, free for most subscribers. Just download it today and tap podcasts. For video clips of the show and more, follow me on Twitter, Lindsay underscore Rhodes. On Instagram, I'm Lindsay Rhodes NFL. The NFL Roadshow is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Andrew Emmer. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. And a special thanks to SiriusXM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. We'll see you Wednesday. SiriusXM Podcasts.